The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Today we are in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation. If you cannot find that in your Bible, that is okay. It's the very last book of the Bible. Specifically in these Pew Bibles, it is on page 1028, 1028. We are on number one, the very top left corner. We just started last week. Uh, I, I felt this last week after doing the introduction that we like finished the book. It's like when you start running and you realize I've got a long way to go and it's, it's in a good way. But there's so much energy and excitement that it's hard to believe we're just really now getting into the text. And I pray you're excited as I am. And with that in mind, if you're able to stand, would you stand in honor of God's word today as we read chapter 1, Revelation 1, big number 1, small numbers 1 to 3, the prologue, it may say, the opening, whatever your Bible has. But this is the word of God. This is the word given to John, the revelation of John, but more specifically, as we'll read in a second, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we said last week, this is not a book about trying to solve special Bible codes or crack some special thing with the dates and times. We're not into that, but we are into what it says here in the first four verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made known by sending his angel to his servant John. Verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You are blessed the only time in the Bible that the Bible says you are blessed by reading a book, the book of Revelation. We'll get into that, but may God give us wisdom. Today's topic, as it always will be, the heading for the whole series is God wins. Is that simple enough? Hopefully God wins. And that's the Father, Son, and Spirit, but God wins. And I pray this is encouraging to you. Let's go before the Lord as we study. Father, thank you once again for the words that are here, that this is not the, 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 the coming of thoughts of a guy. It's not a political commentator or a sports ana- analyst or some guy on the street just spouting off information. This is a revelation that came from the very throne room, Father, of, of, of your sanctuary in heaven. The very one that you sent to us, Jesus Christ, is the one that by your Spirit gave these visions to John to encourage, equip, and help us engage the world with the gospel of Christ in the midst of craziness, but also in the midst of endurance. Thank you so much, Lord, that you do win, you have won, and nothing can stop you. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we know that well here at this church. May we be encouraged. May we put away our calendars. May we put away our decoder rings. And may we see Christ high and lifted up. That is our prayer today and always. And we ask this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, you see here at the very outset, and uh, this is, uh, if you check your watch or your phone, today is May 21st, 2021. May I ask you where you were at on May 21st, 2011? Many of you remember this. A man by the name of Harold Camping said that on May 21st, 2011, the Bible guarantees it that the end of the world will happen. 
1988, we had 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Oh, by the way, it turned into 89 in 1989. On October 21st, 2012, the end of the world was supposed to happen. And then that great Mayan calendar from down south in Mexico supposedly said that Jesus was coming on December 21st, 2012, and yet here we are. Jesus is also going to return, some say, during the year of Jubilee. Or if you, if you uh, believe Mark Blitz and John Hagee, that, that uh, plump preacher from San Antonio, then you are going to see a blood moon and Jesus is going to come back. Guys, I'm not poking fun at any of these people, but Harold Camping, Hal Lindsey, Jack Van Impey, Edgar Weisenhunt, Mark Blitz, and John Hagee all predicted dates, and they all were wrong. Be very careful what you listen to. Each of these above all failed. The scripture says in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, however, no one knows the day or the hour. These things will happen. Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. Stephen Wilmer in his Whitmer, in his uh, article, Stop Dating Jesus, says that setting a date for the return of Jesus is bad for three reasons. One, it gets you restless for things that the Bible says you should not be restless for. Number two, it says that it discourages you from being a productive member of society with a Christian worldview. And number three, why date setting is wrong is it attempts us to seize control of what God says we have no control of. So what do we do with these people? Well, we think they have their heart in the right place. They really did desire to see the Lord Jesus, and better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. We believe also that one day God will gather all his people, won't he, to come and know him, and we affirm that with these people. But we're also right in affirming with them that Acts 17.30 says that there is coming a day, Paul said, that when God will judge the world with righteousness by the man Jesus he has appointed. But I want to remind you this morning, as we open up the book of Revelation, we're not here to date set. We're not here to headline chase. We're here to go and know and go deeper and wider in sharing and, and loving this Jesus that we have. Amen? That's why we are here. Our faith is not placed in a person or a prediction. It's in the good news of Jesus Christ. It is also that no one knows the day or the hour. About 20 years ago, there was a computer program that came out that said secret Bible codes. And when you typed in a certain search, you could come up with all sorts of certain things. They predicted that Hitler would do this and Napoleon would do that. And, and, and Benjamin Netanyahu, if you remember that name, would do this and that and the other. And, and this president would be the Antichrist. And that president, oh, it's four more years. This guy, stop it. This is not a puzzle book, as I said last week. This is a picture book to show you what God has done. And what has he done? He's won the victory already. And so God has given us his word, and we need to know that. So simply put, what we discover is God has spoken. And when he speaks, the big idea today, when God speaks, he doesn't whisper. His voice drowns out every other opinion. And when God has spoken, he has said this. I'm coming and I'm coming soon indeed, but you need to be ready and follow me all the way while you get there. Look, the first time he came, he was crucified. The second time he comes, there will be a coronation. There will be a royal wedding. The first time he came, he came to a tree. The second time, he's coming to a throne. The first time he came, he stood before Pilate. And the second time, Pilate's going to stand before him. The first time he came, he came in shame. But the second time he came, he's coming in splendor. The first time he came, he came to redeem us. And the second time, he's coming to reign over us. Firstly, he came as a servant, and now he's coming as the sovereign Lord of heaven and of earth. And no date setting will get us there. 
This is the return of Christ, the ultimate hope that we have. And this is where we set our hearts clogged, not to a date or a calendar or a person or any type of blood moon or anything else out there. Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. Because the moment you start getting into that, the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes less important. And what did Paul say is of first importance to the Corinthian church? He said of first importance is that Jesus died for you, he was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Be very, very careful. So this morning, we are going to see how God has spoken. Verses 1 to 3, we will see a true Christian as God speaks from heaven, desires not to chase after headlines or the newest thing, but two things he acknowledges here. A true Christian waiting on Christ is going to desire two things. First, he's going to acknowledge God's revelation. And second off, he's going to accept God's reward. God wins. He's written to these churches. This is happening in our midst. And here's what we know. The first thing I want you to see as we open this book of Revelation is acknowledge God's revelation. Acknowledge God's revelation. Now, how do you acknowledge the revelation? The first way you do this is through the cadence of revelation. This is a running word. You know what cadence is? Like rhythm. And I'm speaking to Baptist churches. My wife has rhythm. I do not dance. She dances. She has rhythm. I'm the guy on the, uh, when they clap on two beats, I'm on like 2.5. So that's how we do it in my, in my house. That's how it works. But I want you to notice as we open this book up and we look at what God has spoken with, that the number three comes in in a cadence. Did you see that already here? The one, two, three, the one, two, three. And we're going to see that over and over and over. He's introducing a waltz here. He's sharing with you a way to memorize the scripture and to memorize the book. You look at uh, verse 1 down to where it says, God gave. God gave. There's one. God gave. What did God do? The Son made it known. And what happened? John bore witness. One, two, three. Did you see that there? Well, What did John bear witness to? Number one, three things. The Word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that saw. One, two, three. One, two, three. Sounds like a preschool show, doesn't it? But you see what it does. This is also found in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one, number one, who what? Reads aloud the words of this book. Who Blessed are those who hear the words. And blessed are those who keep what is written. One, two, three. One, two, three. Are you dancing yet? Some of your feet are tapping. I can see that. But this is how the book is written. And as he opens the book, he wants you to know it is ordered well because he's speaking with the number three. You remember that number three from last week was to showcase the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as we start this, I want to stress again, this book was read aloud to people. They did not have a written copy outside the letter that it came from the hand of John or copied word for word by a scribe at some point. They didn't have charts or commentators or Bible search software. They just simply had God's word. And if I got up and started speaking to you in poems every week and you started, have you ever been to a coffee shop? I cannot snap my fingers. I've told you that before. I literally cannot snap my fingers. You know how they go in a coffee shop? You ever been to a coffee shop when they start doing poems, they start snapping their fingers? How would you like every week if I got up and gave you a poem for your sermon? How would you feel? Some of you, that'd be the greatest thing since sliced bread because you'd be one, two, three, one, two, three. But this is what he does. He does this to teach you that if they are able to hear the book, you do not need some guy telling you dates to tell you what is going to happen in the book of Revelation. Have I beat that drum enough today? Guys, we are so sucked in 
to everyone and everybody who has a word from the Lord about the book of Revelation. Why don't we just let the book speak for itself? And as he does it, he does it with a cadence of one, two, three, one, two, three. If you're a Christian, you say, I can't understand any of this. You have the Spirit of God living within you. And if the Spirit of God is enough to inspire Scripture and work through these churches, these seven churches that were written to, you can understand the book as well. That's the first thing. When you acknowledge God's revelation, you acknowledge the cadence or the rhythm that comes with it. Second thing is this. You acknowledge the cause of the revelation, the cause of the revelation. Notice verse 1 there, those first four words. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. Is revelation from Jesus or is it about Jesus? And everybody looks at Pastor Nelson and says, yes, that's right. It's exactly what it is. The grammar here is very similar to Revelation 22, that it says that, that God gave him. It's from Jesus. But notice the order here. It's, it is from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, and it was given to an angel and then to John. Do you see that order there? From, from the Father, the Son, to the angels, to John. Father, Son, angels, apostles, you could say. And, the, and that word angels is nothing new. If you look down at verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Well, what did he see? He's going to tell you in the next 22 chapters. But the cause of the revelation is Jesus Christ. Remember last week we said it's not revelations with an S. It's revelation. It's singular. But there's nothing new here that's happening. In fact, he's giving you what's happening. The, the angels are here to share what is going on. In fact, the angels are used 67 times in the book of Revelation itself. They show John new things. In Revelation 5, there are also those ones who are worshiping around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. But when angels show up, they say two words. You know what they are? Fear not and get up. Fear not and get up. Fear not and get up. These awe-inspiring creatures are worshiping God endlessly, and they know they're taking forward the revelation to John. They're taking forward the visions that John is going to see. And this is why it matters what we sing. This is why it matters what we do here at this church, because these powerful, beautiful creatures... <laughs> here, here, Tally. Let me grab you. It's okay. She's okay. Thank you. Just don't want her to run up there. Uh, so I'm not, don't want her to uh, fall down. But these powerful, beautiful creatures are doing things and bringing visions of things that are here to come and for, for them to see. And we know this, that angels bring many things. Hebrews 2 tells us that, that, that the Lord sent angels to bring signs and wonders to the apostles. And the cause of the revelation, Jesus Christ, is sending forth his angels to bring forth the message to John. In fact, you know these words well. Listen to these words, these hymns that you know. You sing it if you want to. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let who? Angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. How about blessed assurance? Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now in my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. I tried to pick ones you all know. Holy, 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 cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who wert, who art, and evermore shall be. The cause of the revelation is coming from Jesus Christ, but it is delivered by his servants, the angels, to a servant, John. Friends, what does this mean for us? It means we need to pray 
for the worship here at Tower View Baptist Church. I appreciate our worship team and Brian leading each week because what they bring us is not new words, necessarily maybe new lyrics, but the words are the same old truth, that Christ died for you and he died indeed. And that's what we know the cause of the revelation is. But notice secondly or thirdly here, the criticalness of the revelation, the criticalness of the revelation. It is sent by Jesus to his servants, by the angels. But notice the time frame of this. He says this in verse 1, that must soon take place. This revelation is soon take place. In the end of verse 3, for the time is near. The revelation is happening. Uh, One of the commentators writes that verses 1 through 3, there's an imminent tribulation which has already begun. And we see that the coming of Christ, that Christ will come quickly like all the scriptures have promised. There are some people who believe that Jesus could come at any moment, and we agree with that. But John is even saying, in his day, the end times have started. Have you ever met someone who said to you, do you know that we're living in the end times? Do you know when the end times started? When Jesus died. We have been in the end times since Jesus gave us his very death from there till there. We've always been in the end times. In fact, that's what we know. But what is soon to take place, this is not going to end in some world away. This has always been the lot of the church. And John is on Patmos, and there's persecution happening. His, his friends are being fed to the lions and burned as torches at garden parties for Nero. There are people being expelled from churches all over the place. But what we know is John is talking about something that was occurring even in his own life. Please understand that. There are many people who seek after the signs of the revelation more than they seek after the Savior who is over the revelation. And that's a problem. Because in fact, in the very imprisonment that John had, he was teaching and preaching the word of God. And John is the only apostle who ever lived to tell about it. At the end of the first century, he's writing revelation. Revelation is happening within his midst. And that's important Because John is not writing about some future event divorced from what he's going through. He's writing about what's happening. The beheadings, the upside-down crucifixion of Peter, the running through with the spear, being beaten to death, all these things. And we look around today and say, is this the sign of the end times? Are we the generation that Christ is going to return? And as your pastor, I would say, I don't know. But what I do know is, is that this book was written for you and me and anybody else until the return of Jesus. When is Jesus going to return? I don't know. What day or what hour, Pastor? I'm not going there. We are blessed. We are very blessed. And I want you to know that we know nothing in a time and a place. I'm so grateful for this country. And we're entering that season where next Sunday we'll remember those who gave their life in service for our country. On July 4th weekend, we will remember and celebrate the freedoms that we have. And we're so blessed here. We don't fear, do we? at least not to the extent that many brothers and sisters do, where someone could walk in and literally just take away our freedoms or close our doors. We think about it, we talk about it kind of academically in classes, but we don't see the reality of it. We worship today in public, but we're not worried about someone putting chains on doors. We're more concerned about what the seat's going to be or how the air conditioner is going to be or something in between. So I want you to know that the criticalness of this is John saw Jesus coming back at his time frame, not necessarily in any way, shape, or form, except when he was ready, not when the signs told him that he should be ready. When Christ is ready, he's ready. That is the criticalness. He is coming soon. And he could be a minute from now. It could be a month from now. It could be 100 years from now. 
but I want you to know he promised it and it will happen. He's coming soon. I want you also to notice the crowd of the revelation, the crowd of the revelation. This is, and you see that in verse one, he says, and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Your Bible may say something different there in verse one. It may say slave John or bond servant John or sir, whatever it is, servant John. John is the recipient. He is the crowd. He's the one being written to. He's the angel to his servant who bore witness to everybody else. But I want you to hold your spot there for a second. Would you turn with me to chapter 2, verse 20? Because John is not the only servant that is in this book. In fact, the word servant or bond slave or bond servant is used over 20, excuse me, over 14 times. And it says in chapter 2, verse 20, speaking to the churches, it says in chapter 2, verse 20, uh, but I have this against you, speaking to the church at Thyatira, that you tolerate a woman named Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. Okay, so servants, he's speaking to a church. Go to chapter 6, verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. You can swipe, you can move your page, whatever you do in these days. And it says, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers were complete, who were killed as they themselves had been. So who are the servants? Who's the crowd that's receiving this? It is John, to be sure, but more so the word servant in, in, in Revelation refers to anybody who has given their life to Jesus Christ. Did you know that about you? Your life is either marked for serving Christ or it's not. You are such and such name, comma, slave, servant of Jesus Christ. Slave to sin, no longer, praise the Lord, but slave to Christ. And what John is saying here, what he's bringing forth is, there is a dichotomy as there always is. The word servant always refers to a Christian. In the book of Revelation, those who are not servants of Christ worship the beast. They get that mark on their hand and time out. That's not necessarily a code or some implantation of a device that records things. Eat your heart out left behind series. Ducks for cover. The servants are those who do his bidding, whose robes, for chapter 6, are washed in white, who walk in opposition to the beast. Those who believe in Christ are servants of Christ. There are servants of Satan, for sure, but those in Revelation are those whose God's word has come to. Christian, you are going to be misunderstood wherever you are. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. You will never have peace in this world in the world's standards. You will have peace, Jesus said, in the midst of tribulation, but you will not have peace as the world brings it because you are not of this world. And praise God for that, amen? You are marked out to a different community. You are marked out as a resident alien. You are marked out as one who has been set apart for the coming king. And we need to stand fast. And just as he acknowledged God's revelation, John, being the servant, gave this book to us so we would hold fast in times of unique hardness. Not only that, the crowd, but I also want you to see the character, the character of the revelation. Would you look at verse 2? I want you to see how he does this, the character of the revelation. Not character like he's a funny guy, but the one to which he's bearing witness. He says in verse 2 that as he hears God speaks, he acknowledges the revelation the one to whom it belongs, he bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. 
John, and I want you to walk with me for a second here. I'm about to say some things. Can I just tell you this? I'm going to walk down here for a second. Nelson's, I'm out of camera view for a minute. That's okay. I'm about to tell you some hard things that are going to burst a lot of your bubbles. They burst my bubbles as I studied it. So I'm right there with you. So get your arms out. We're going to do a group hug. You ready? Got your arms ready? Group hug time. All right. Hug yourself. It's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. But you need to know this. Who is the character? Who is the one he's referring to in verse 2? He's referring to the character, the source, the nature, which is Jesus Christ. What John is saying is he's communicating, God is communicating to us with words and images. Just in words only, no, also in images. I told you last week that there are many ways to interpret the book of Revelation, but the default for this book, as all prophetic books are, is that symbolism is the default until we are told it is literal. So how do we get that? Look at verse 2. Do you see that word? Some of your Bibles are going to say it differently. It says, it could say in your Bible that he made known to him by sending his able to his servant John. And at the end of verse 2, it says he saw. It could say he has signs. That word saw there is literally translated signs. What John is telling you is not, he's setting up the hermeneutic, the interpretive principle for the book. Is not that there aren't literal things in the book. There certainly are. But that what he is going to say, and Pastor Nelson is going to be preaching on this in two weeks, is things are like. It's like this. It's like that. You ever try to talk to a kid before when they ask a big question and you try and bring it down to their level? What do you usually say? It's what? Like this. It's like that. It's like this. Does it take away the literalness of their question? Not at all. But you're trying to explain it in such a way that they understand it and can apply it to their lives. So what am I saying to you? He is making the point here, as he will make throughout all the rest of Revelation, that these visions and these things are symbolic in nature. Not that they're not going to happen. Just because it's symbolic does not mean it's not going to happen. I have a wedding ring on right here, which I'm getting bigger, and it's not fitting on my fingers as much. If I take off my ring right now, am I any less married to my wife? What does this stand for? stands for the marriage that I have to my wife. Whether I have my ring on, I should have my ring on. I pray I hold it all the time, except in special times. But the symbolism here points to the reality that we are married. Does that take away the literalness that I have a wife named Natalie? No. She's sitting in the middle back there. You can, you can wave to her and say, hey, she's there. She actually, she's a real person. She's there. John is giving you symbolic truths to teach you things about what is happening. And so you say, Darren, so is it a, I just want to know, tell me your cards. Is this a real literal seven years, a half year or whatever? Is it a literal 144,000 or is it not? John's going to argue based on this word at the end of verse 2 that these are pictures of things that are coming to happen. Are you self-hugging yourself? Because for some of you, this is going to make you mad. He saw, what is he saying? He's saying can I just put it this way? I've read all the books. If you love the Left Behind series, you're going to struggle with what John's going to be teaching you in the book of Revelation. One commentator put it this way, and I think it encapsulates it well. Jesus Christ receives the task of showing in a manner of a pictorial display. The book itself is an eloquent testimony that this display is given by signs, symbols, names, numbers, colors, and creatures. 
is a hint to the reader as to how the book should be read and understood. This book is God's word. Just because it's symbolic does not mean it's any less than God's word. But you need to know that Apache helicopters, implanting things, anything written in a fiction novel, be careful that you do not apply what you read from Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins to this book. Let the book speak for itself. So, Darren, how are you going to interpret it? Well, you just got to hang on for that, don't you? But I want you to know what he says here is the character of the book is, it is symbolic in nature to point you to greater realities that are coming, that are real, but they're not all as they're often parsed out to be. We got it all figured out, don't we? We got it all figured out. And friends, I want to tell you, this is not a book designed for us to read with a globe in one hand and a newspaper in another. We could figure out the right place at the right time. This book is to do one thing. It's to bring praise to Jesus Christ. A thousand pastors were surveyed about their end times views. And do you know what most of them attribute to as their end times views? The Left Behind series books. How many of y'all have read those books? Good books. Great story. Be careful that you do not allow a fiction story to interpret the book of Revelation for you. Can I just go in the back room right now and hide? You say, Darren, what does all this mean? It means that the purpose of this revelation is to do what we're about ready to read in verse 3. Are you ready? You accept God's revelation when you hear it based on all those factors. You acknowledge it, but secondly, you accept God's reward. Because if you read the book as John intended it to be read in pointing back through symbols to literal realities that will happen at some day, this is what happens to you. Three blessings that come your way. This is one of seven Beatitudes that are in the book. Here it is. Verse Three, let's read it again if you have your Bible open. Blessed is the one who reads about the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Did you hear that? What are the blessings that come to you as you read this book? The blessings that come to you are not that you have this, the, uh, this is really dating me and probably dating you too. Back in the baseball days, they used to have Cracker Jack boxes. If you were old enough to remember that, don't raise your hand. Dave Edmonds, I'm sorry. You just identified yourself. And in that, they had a secret what? You had a decoder ring, right? And you could take that to a certain thing and figure out the mystery. For some of you more modern people in the last 20 years, probably his greatest movie ever, but National Treasure. Do you remember seeing this with Nicolas Cage? where Nicolas Cage went and he stole the Declaration of Independence. you remember this? He somehow got through all the security. And then he found glasses at, um, at, at the Liberty Bell, and he could put on his decoder glasses, and he could figure out the mystery. Whew, wouldn't that be nice? That's not what Revelation's all about. What it's about is what he's about to tell you it's about. Are you ready for this? How do you find truth, hope, and love in Revelation? He's going to tell you three things. The first thing is you are blessed by reading it. You're blessed by reading it. What's he mean by that? Does he mean if you just go off in a room silently and read it, you're blessed? Well, yes. But I think most of all, he's talking about that we don't ever forget it. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of churches, including our own over the years, even since I've been here, we've missed the blessing of what this book offers because we haven't read it. We haven't talked about it. haven't considered it. John is writing to seven churches for sure, but what he's saying is, is that, that, that as you move forward, as you take a copy of God's Word and multiple copies that we have, the more you hold yourselves to the promises that God has given you in this book, the more blessed you're going to be. 
He doesn't say, because you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture. What he says is you're blessed because of who it represents and what he says about himself and what that means for you. That's where the blessing comes. I surveyed a number of pastors this week and asked, how often do you read the word of God out loud during your service? You know what the number one time when it was read? Sermon time, right? Next question. Do you have a standalone time where you read the word of God? Just read the word, a call to worship, a a scripture reading. Less than half said, we have nothing like that in our churches. Do you want to know how the world is changed by the reading of this book? Out loud, in homes, in places, in churches, wherever we are. And more and more of it. Read the word of God. It will change you. He said, blessed are those who hear Blessed are those who hear. Hear what? Hear what God has said in his word. Hear what God has said to the people. Hear what God has said. Are you listening to the word of God? Do you hear it? Is it a regular thing in your home and in your life? But notice, secondly, you're blessed by reading it, but you're also blessed by, what does he say there? He says, blessed are those who hear it, but blessed are those who also keep it. Did you see that there? Amy, you can go ahead and go to the next slide as well. But you receive the blessing by receiving the blessing. You, 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 you hear it, but you also, uh, uh, you, you keep it. You, you hear a word aloud, but those who hear it. You read the words aloud, but also those who hear it. Why is it a blessing for those who hear? Because when you're in persecution, you need to be reminded about what God has done for you and what is coming when you die for him or when he returns. Because he was on the island of Patmos, John has seen everything that's happened to Christians when they stand strong, and it's not good. But when the church is persecuted, we need to be reminded about the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the mercy of God, why God saved us, how God saved us, what that means for us. When you miss church, can I just say this for a minute? When you miss church, you miss the blessing of hearing God's word sometimes, don't you? And I say that to myself. John says with all the martyrs of Revelation, how long, O Lord, until you set this right? And he says back to him, God says back to him, hold on. Hold on, hold on, I'm coming soon. And it's a blessing to hear it because when you're in the darkest days, you need to be reminded that you serve a Lord who has for all time set things right. Even though the world doesn't look like it, you're blessed to read it and hear it and live it out because of what he's done for you. Do you see, can I just time out for a minute? I'm harping on this and I don't want to step on toes, but I've been there and done this. Do you see why just making this a puzzle book to figure out takes away the glory of Christ? Because when you get away trying to solve every, dot every I, cross every T, and chasing every headline, you miss Jesus. And when you miss Jesus, you miss the point of the book. Do not let the point of the book miss what is being said here. We need revelation because we need to be encouraged in times like these. I have discouragement. You have discouragement. We all got a bunch of discouragement. But the book of Revelation says the more you hear it, the more you receive the blessing of what God's word says about who he is. Thank God for him. And finally, he says not only you're blessed if you read it aloud and blessed if you hear it, but you also, you also receive by responding to the blessing, responding to the blessing. All those who keep what is written in it. All those who keep what is written in it. Well, what is written in it? Go read it aloud. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Go hear it. Go look it up. We'll get there. But the book says, it says to all Christians everywhere, hang in there. I know it's tough. Stay with the course. Keep going. 
Run alongside. Don't accept the mark. Don't worship the beast. Don't bow down in the midst of pressure. And do you understand what is happening? You stick with it. Revelation is all about the battle. Either you're a servant of, of Satan worshiping the beast or you're a servant of Christ enduring the worst. And that's what it comes down to be. So we pray that as we look at this book that you see that cadence, you see that rhythm, you see that God in the one, two, threes and the one, two, three, four, five, six, sevens is pointing back to the fact, hang on. We had a great question in our Sunday school class about how do we know if someone's truly saved? How do you know? And one of the marks we talked about is that he or she who's saved endures to the end. They stick it out by God's grace till the very, very end. And the book of Revelation says that if you're truly his, you're going to respond to the blessing of reading his words aloud and hearing it by God's grace living out until the very end. Not perfectly. Brother, uh, one of our brothers yesterday shared his testimony about being like the stock market. Some days it's down, some days it's up. It's a bear market, it's a bull market, whatever. But by God's grace, he carries you through. So what does this mean for you? Four quick things. And we'll go to the Lord's Supper. What does this mean for you as we open this up? You need to acknowledge God's revelation. You also need to accept his reward. But very practically, this is what it means. And Amy, if you'll put the first slide up, that would be great, please. Number one, you need and have to be all in with Jesus Christ. This book accepts nothing less. John could not say, this is too crazy for me. I don't want to have anything to do with this. John accepted and acknowledged God's revelation from the very get-go. To really get the book of Revelation, you have to say, I'm all in for Jesus. Not a, a, a way to interpret the book, not a, a particular author of a book, not a particular headline, but Jesus Christ. Are you all in for Jesus or are you all in for a system? That's the great reward that comes. Number two, we must love, live, and learn the Word of God. If there's anything else that comes from this study, I pray that we just love this book more, love the God of the book more. The more we do that, the more we will see that Christ is being lifted high. We're Baptists, right? We, are, we, we preach the Bible. We love this book. But, but is it practical in your life? Is it something you take with your family, something you do as a couple, something you do as an individual? Have you taken this word seriously? You're blessed if you do it. There's a lot of things you don't get blessed with. But you get blessed if you love the word of God. You pray, Lord, help me to live out your word and you learn more about it. You hear it, you read it, and you keep it. Number three is not only do we love and live and learn the word of God, but we need to stop giving false teachers a platform. Guys, can I just say some names? And I... I say this, if you're visiting, I say this not because I'm any better than them, but because I need to warn you who to stay away from. John Hagee, San Antonio, Texas. Do not listen to him. Stay far, far away. He has predicted falsely the return of Christ many times. He does it more subtly with a marketing and PR team than some of the other guys I'm going to mention. Stay away from him. Mark Blitz, stay away from him. Jack Van Impey and so on and so forth. Why? Because the moment you tell me Jesus is going to return and you say, oops, I got the date wrong, you've just proved yourself a false prophet, Deuteronomy 18. I don't claim to be a prophet. I'm a sinner leading other sinners to Christ, and imperfectly as that is. But the moment we embrace a teacher or repost something on Facebook or share an article or do something that is a false marked 
teacher, you need to know you are falling into the same path they are. Well, but they're great preachers. Great, wonderful. But do they teach the word of God? Do you know why false teachers keep getting into churches? Because churches have long left this book and they don't have any idea what it says. And once you get one false teacher in, do you know what they hire? More false teachers and more false teachers and more false teachers. Be careful. Be very careful. And finally, we will do this with number four. Stop giving them a platform. But number four, I want you to see this as well. Is not only are we going to accept the reward and do those things, but we need to know that your view of the world affects how you live today. I have something in my notes that I'm afraid to say, I'll be honest with you. If you believe that you're going to be raptured out of here and spend seven years outside of heaven, that's going to affect how you do evangelism in this world. Because you know what happens a lot of times? We put our autopilot on and our seatbelt on, and you know what happens? We just get an autopilot and go. Be careful that the comforts of American culture do not inform how you see what Christ is doing in this world. Guys, the lot of God's people has always been to suffer. Do you know that? Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that often comes through great suffering. You say, Darren, are you saying there's no rapture? God is going to rapture the church at some point. But I want you to know most people believe in a rapture because for them, it's easier to get out of here before all hell breaks loose. But what if God kept you in here when all hell broke loose? Would that change how you view God or change how you view the world? If you say yes, that's an honest answer. But I want you to know that a lot of the beliefs that we now hold about the end times came when America came out of victor in World War II and prosperity was all over the place. We are very blessed to be in an American church. And I am so blessed to be your pastor along with these other guys that are here and other up and coming guys that may join us along the way. But I want you to know that the American dream does not equate always to how we view what God is going to do. I believe it's very possible that God may leave his church here on this earth to be a witness just as John was left and the first century church in one of the worst persecutions under Domitian in the second century. Be careful that your view of the world does not inform how you practice your faith in a bad, unbiblical, ungodly way. If comfort comes to mind first before you see the task that God has put in front of you, comfort may be your God. And I am talking ten fingers and toes that you cannot see back to myself. May God be glorified. Will you pray with me as we close out today? And we will go before the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this time. As we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, may we see, may we see clearly that you are God and God alone. There is no truth except your truth. Father, I pray we see this book not as an interpretive key to comfort, although it is comforting to know you're with us, but as a book that comes as we seek out you in the midst of much persecution. Lord, we love you. We pray as we get ready to partake the Lord's Supper after our next song that you are glorified. We ask this all today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. So stand with us.